you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. And right now on Fast Money, rip, roaring, rally, big tech booming, the NASDAQ up 7%. Some big names up double digits, the S&P up more than 5%. The Dow posting a gain of 1,201 points. Yes, you heard that right. Do not adjust your radio. 1,201 points. But is this a rebound? You can really believe in longer term. Plus, the latest of the fast-moving story on FTX. The founder says he, quote, effed up. But does this really? disaster have macro market implications? Later on, ahead of Veterans Day, we're going to introduce you to the first institutional asset management firm that is 100% owned by military veterans. Giants great Phil McConkie nice. is here. Hi, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan in for Melissa Lee tonight. This is Fast Money live for the NASDAQ. And somebody called John Stamos. Huh? Because we got a full Black house. House. We got a full house tonight. Oh, yeah. We got Tim Seymour, Karen Feiderman. Dan Nathan and got try not to laugh, guy Dami. That was funny. All right, let's start up right at the big story of the day. Stocks. Or as we might say, stonks. The latest inflation data showing a slight drop. But that slight drop was enough to get investors absolutely giddy. Pretty much every stock rose today, including the biggest of the big. Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, you name it, all sorts. Even Meta, I think, went up today. The four companies adding a combined $515 billion in market cap today alone. Meantime, borrowing costs actually dropped a bit. The 10-year yield sagging back below 4%. All right, Guy Dami. Yes, sir. You know what's coming. Did today's rally give you any optimism around the longer term? There's no, these weren't, this wasn't all humans today. There was a lot of computer action involved. What's your take? Well, when you invoked Full House, which is, and I'm going to get added, one of the worst shows in the history of shows. <laughs> I'll add you right here. Come on, man. That's no, not I'm not come on manning. By the way, you remind me of the big dude that was like hanging around there I actually for never really seen odd the show. reasons. I never saw the show. Uh, Jeff, something. Uh, big dude. I was too busy watching Joey. So we were talking. So Tim brought this up right before the show started. And October 13th, Thursday, Friday 14th, subsequently that Monday the 17th, we talked about it on the show that it felt like the market did back in June 15th, 16th, when the market went on to rally 18% in August. We've been saying that the setup was similar. The S&P can trade up to 4,000, which would make it about a 14.5% trough to peak uh, move from that 3491 low. Maybe we overshoot to 4,100. It makes a lot of sense. I'll say this, though. We always associate panic with when things are, oh, but he's panicking the downside. Today was panic to the upside. Without question, there was nothing healthy about today. Well, and you panic when you're missing a rally. So what, what I was saying before, fund managers, especially hedge fund managers, don't necessarily get fired when, when, when they lose money on the way down, but they do get fired when they miss rallies on the way back. And mm. I, I would just posit, though, um, is, is, is it worth saying inflation is suddenly gone because we saw lower used car prices, which we were getting that data for the last three weeks. That was, that was no surprise. That, that was literally it. Well, <laughs> and then health care costs, health care costs, where there's 
there's a, a quirky computation change in terms of how we're measuring insurance costs um, that go back to 2021. And, and all of that is really your differential between just off a 40-year high in inflation. So I'm sure I'm going to get egged as I walk out of the studio because this is an exciting day for investors who have been going through, you know, day after day of a bear market. But um, and, and it's really about the Fed pivot and how we're defining pivot. I get it. But today, to me, felt like a major overreaction to CPI. Uh, I talk about semis all the time. We're up 27% off of last month's CPI low print to where we are today. 27% in a month in semiconductors. And I want to protect you for being honest. And also, do not throw eggs at Tim. Eggs are too expensive. If you see the inflation data, food costs, Karen, went back up. Are you buying cow main foods? No. What was your take on today's rally? I mean, are you selling into it or just sitting back and watching it? Like- no, I'm just sitting back and watching it. You know, it's it's if you've been waiting on the sidelines. So I'm long. I'm always long. I was long as it was going down and I'm long right now. Nothing's changed. But if you're sitting on the that. sidelines, Look at the eggs. Look at the eggs. there you go. Nice Those job. Eggs. Wow. Cliffs. Look if organic. you've been sitting on the sidelines waiting, oh, I want to wait till, you know, bottoms out and then I'll jump in. It's really hard to do on an up 1100 day. So, you know, now people feel like, oh, shoot, I missed it. I'll have to wait again. I don't know. We'll see what kind of follow through there is. I agree with Tim. I thought the reaction to what well, was nice, a little cool data from CPI. That's good. We haven't seen that in a while. I still think, you know, rates are high. But now we're getting out of earnings season. So some of these macro things can whip us around a lot more easily. The dollar move today, though, big that, that was big. big. That counts for something. Yeah, so dollar lower, yields lower. You saw crude oil didn't rally today. Those are all really good things for uh, an equity rally. I agree with uh, all of you guys. I just think it was a little too much. And it just shows you, though, how wound we were, how poor sentiment was. And, you know, again, coming out of earnings season, I mean, just go back a week and a half. I mean, all of the biggest names in the market, for the most part, disappointed, guided down. Estimates came down. We're starting to see 2023 S&P estimates come down. Those are all good things. We've been talking about this. It's like, okay, we were waiting for this sort of stuff all year long. So, Mm. you know, for me, I I guess we've been talking about it on the show. I I just thought some of the disconnects after earnings in a bunch of names, and Disney was one of them we talked about early in the week. I bought it at 86 and a half bucks um, a day or so after the results. I bought some Meta after the results. I bought Google after the results. I bought Amazon after the results. I bought Snap after the results. You bought Meta? Yeah. Yeah. So so I guess the point is, is like, I'm looking at it more from a trading perspective, okay? I wasn't long these things prior. I didn't have any conviction that they do. What I did have conviction is when the sentiment's so bad, after you have wholesale selling and names like that, you will have the potential for a gap fill. That, to me, is the unique opportunity that you have in markets like this. And, and again, we are still in a bear market. If you look at the S&P or you look at the NASDAQ, we're still in a two-month range, which is well below the range how from much, the prior much, you know, eight months or so. How much of today was short covered? Sure. Some I, gar- I mean, some I really heavily shorted stocks I don't, I don't think rose so. 30%. No, no, maybe. But I guess the one like thing I was saying, we've been talking about, like, the VIX. Like, what? you know, we don't see the VIX go over 35. People seem, the people that short stocks seem fairly well hedged up for all intents and purposes. So, yeah. You're not hedging at 35 VIX, yeah, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and at a 23 VIX, which is about to where we're going to get to, um, is, is something that I, I, I'm not sure is, rel- is appropriate relative to where the market is here. We put so much emphasis on, you know, Fed, what are they going to do? And does this give them cover? I think it gives them cover to speak more hawkishly, number one, which is a good thing. 
But again, the market going lower is not all predicated on the Federal Reserve. I mean, earnings have not been particularly robust. We're still in a slowing period of growth. You shouldn't pay as much on a multiple for S&P 500 earnings, which are going lower. So there's still the market move today didn't cure the ills of all these corporations no. that are feeling the heat, as are a lot of the consumers. But did it change? But as we said earlier in the, in the network today, where I did. Lower yields, and we saw yields go down a little bit, do change how you discount cash flow. Yeah. They can affect multiples. Yeah. Was today sort of just that multiple adjustment, and that's it? I mean, well, I, I wonder know. if today was all we're going to get from so, the Fed pivot. I thought that multiple adjustment was overdone relative to... Overdone on the downside? No, overdone sort of to the, up, uh, to the upside. I think rates are still high. They are a little lower, but they are still high compared to where they were a year ago, November, and you could, you know, multiples of... You could trade at any multiple. But I thought the interesting thing to me was the, the home building move today, that whole space. Like everything's off of fine. The Suddenly everything's fine in home building. I think now we were looking through to, all right, we're, 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 but we can see six months out. Maybe that gets better. But to me, the housing market where the velocity is going to be zero, okay? I mean, even if rates came down a little bit today, I, I just don't see how the housing market, and I, I can look at home builders and see multiples that are actually really attractive relative to their history and all that. I, I just think you have a case where uh, we've gotten through multiple phases of this rally, and the two most important ones we haven't even gotten to yet, and that's a credit crisis and that's a liquidity crisis. And so the, the fact that we've had this greatest trading market of all time or the last you know, handful of years, which is what I think it's been, is, is part of the dynamic of what people's expectations are of where we're supposed to go. There's no sign of a credit crisis anytime um, in the next few months, for sure. And, and in fact, if you think that the Fed uh, is now going to start to come back off of where they are, you have an opportunity for equities. But the problem is that a lot of people are expecting much worse down the road. And I think that affects the sentiment. And the conversation, this is where Dan and I probably part ways. But, you know, I think this environment now gives the green light for commodities to take that next leg higher. Now, it didn't really happen today in crude oil. I think it's about to, but that's what makes markets. So if commodities get back on their collective horse, the inflation problem, which they're trying to combat and doing a decent job of, is just going to continue to go its merry way. So then they're going to have to backtrack on whatever pivot the market thinks. So there's going to become this vacuous cycle, I believe, where Fed pivot, that's great. Commodities, you, you basically take the genie out of the bottle again, and that's a problem. Yeah, no, I, I mean, listen, I just don't think crude's going anywhere. It just doesn't feel like it wants to go anywhere, and, and the stock even, seems even so... The dollar, though, hold on, because yeah. you're, 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 you're highlighting the dollar. I'm with you. Yeah. Dollar's a tailwind from here on yeah. out. If the dollar's going 10% lower, oil's going a lot You mean higher. it's not going to go much higher? It's not going to go much lower? It's just going to kind of sit around I, where I, it is? I don't think it's going much higher. I, just so you know, I mean, I, I'm long puts in the UUP, so I'm playing for a move lower in the dollar. That's the ETF that tracks the U.S. dollar index. I'm also long a put spread over the next month and a half in the XLE. I thought that became one of the most crowded trades in the entire market. And if you're going to see money that has been rotating right out yeah. of, you know, mega cap growth stocks into, you know, other areas, more industrials and that sort of thing, I, I just don't th see how the energy stocks continue to work. But again, I get your point about the dollar. Um, I have people tell me all the time the correlations that you're talking about with the dollar and crude aren't what you think they are. I just want to make one really quick point because we see guy always talks about being added on Twitter. They say the fast money guys are this today right. and gals, you know, like they're this or that or whatever. I think that, you know, we, a lot of us remain very structurally cautious on the global economy, right? And we remain cautious on where S&P earnings are for next year and where investors think. So I just rattled off a bunch of stocks that I bought in the last couple weeks. Those are trades, people. I mean, things got trades, really over yeah. and, and, you know, you get gap fills, you sell them, that sort of thing. So, I, I mean, that's the camp that I am in. I know Guy was saying this from mid-October. I could see a rally, this is you speaking, you know, up to 4,000, 
4,100 in the S&P 500. Are we, we sellers there. right here in the S&P no, 500? No, I mean, you got to let this breathe. I mean, like, this is one of the biggest updates we've seen in the market in how, how many years? I Two. will say, I will yeah. say this, though. We're going to hear a parade of Fed speakers in the next few mm-hmm. days. Talk about Danza of Fed speakers. Reinforcing Can't the wait. message that, that, that is, you know, higher for longer. M- and, Mester and said Mester it today. Said Did, didn't I, Mester I, and sort of George, Esther George, come out and say it today effectively? And Steve Leeser reported on it basically like, if you think we're done, think again. One month drop. We're still, by the way, we're still seven point seven percent. We're seven point seven percent. Everyone's like, "Oh, inflation's licked." There's another CPI number before I think the next. So they have some air cover to be exactly that. Tim's exactly yeah. right. They can be as hawkish as they want because now they have the tailwind of the market and they're getting data that supports okay. it. Right. But well, the problem is. It's still a seven handle on, on inflation. I agree, but hold on. But no, hold, hold on. We're going to bring in a guest. Well, no, but, but, no, I, I, I had a rule. They said you got to fill in for Melissa tonight. And I said, as long as there's nobody from Georgetown on the show. Oh, God. Uh, but then they, they, they said, your opinion matters not, Sully. You're a fill-in. Your next guest believes that inflation is at a key inflection point. He is Mr. Paul McCulley. Tomko's former chief economist now teaches at the aforementioned Georgetown's McDonough School of Business. Mm-hmm, so Tim and Guy are just going to be like, why are you so great, Paul? That's going to be those. <laughs> oh, I just yeah. previewed your questions. He to Paul was great. Georgetown has made him better. To Paul, there we go. OK, Paul, you heard the conversation. I know you're probably in the inflation peaked camp, but I mean, peaking at 7.7 or 8.1, does that mean inflation is going to go materially down anytime soon? Yes, I think it will go materially okay. down uh, in the year ahead. Uh, but actually, the pace of going down is less important than the fact it's coming down. And the Fed has already gotten to a restrictive uh, stance of policy. So you put those two things together. It's coming down and the Fed is already restrictive. And I think you got what today I would describe to be a righteous rally. It was rational anticipating a softer and gentler Fed policy relative to yesterday and particularly relative to Chair Powell's presser uh, a week ago yesterday. Okay. did today's inflation data and to Tim's point, it was mostly used cars and kind of a weird calculation in healthcare that that brought inflation down. But did today's data change your take on what you think the Federal Reserve is going to do at December 14th in January, February or any of the next few meetings? Well, we know they're going to step down in December to 50 basis points. Um, uh, the, the real issue is how they change the dot plot. Remember, we only get a dot plot every other FOMC meeting. And that was the sting in the presser last week uh, when uh, Chair Powell said it's likely that the December dot plot will take the terminal rate up higher. Uh, in September, it was four and a half to four and three quarters. So he put us on our back heels uh, last week by saying that terminal dot's going to go up. Uh, and the big question to me right now is, is that going to happen next December? Because I can't personally rationalize taking that dot up, uh, given just how inverted the yield curve is between the very front end, between cash uh, and the belly. Forget about the 10-year for a second. We had a huge rally in the belly of the curve today as well. Uh, so I think that's really where the debate's going to be coming into the December mm-hmm. meeting uh, is, are they going to take 
take up the terminal dot in a meaningful way? And can they do it in a credible way, given where the inversion in the curve is? Because I think fundamentally what the data is showing on the CPI is what we've known by looking at the real world for a number of months, which is inflationary pressures are going the other direction. Hey, Paul, it's Tim. So we, we exchanged a couple of emails today. And by the way, you, you presume that I understand Keynes when you quote him and emails to me. But part of what you were referencing that you're much smarter than I have to interpret here is really where expectations have a whole lot to do with where not only the market goes, but in fact, where consumers spend and those instincts. Um, talk about where Fed policy from your economist chair um, has done what it needs to do or not done what it needs to do. Because, again, we all know there's a big lag effect, uh, but it is about perception. I think the Fed has done a tremendous amount of tightening this year. We've been hearing front-loading all year long, and 400 basis points is a hell of a lot of front-loading, and it has slapped the housing market around the head and shoulders severely, and 50 basis points one way or the other on the mortgage rate really doesn't matter from this standpoint. We doubled mortgage rates, so I think the housing market is smashed. The enthusiasm for speculation in the marketplace, which was rampant in 20 and 21, yeah. has been removed, and we've obviously seen uh, evidence of that in crypto space literally uh, in the last few days. So I think they have taken irrationally exuberance spirits out of the marketplace. And I think on Main Street, they have smacked uh, the housing market really hard. And, and, and we're Paul, starting that, to see is... a slowdown in, 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 in hiring. So I think we're almost there. We need to quit putting out the landing lights for Amelia Earhart and say she has returned. Okay, I got, I got to ask you very quickly about housing. If we get a meaningful housing slowdown, which we probably will, and it's starting. Housing matters a lot more to the economy than the stock market does. What's going to happen Amen. to the economy with housing stopping? Not slowing, stopping. I, I fully agree with you. We have beat up the housing market, and it's down for the count. Uh, affordability has been severely constrained from the standpoint of new home buyers who the plankton in the housing market see. Yep. And you have a lot of people trapped uh, in their houses now uh, with incredibly low mortgages, which is a good thing, but that's going to dramatically slow activity because they have golden handcuffs on. So I think the housing market uh, is down for the count, quite frankly. Oh, that can be tough for a lot of families out there. Paul McCulley, we do appreciate it, though. Paul, thank you very much. Good. Guy Dami, I mean, you get my point. I know we're going to talk home building stocks later, but housing, God, if, I mean, if it's some of the data is just so awful and housing matters yeah. a lot to the American economy, we should be talking about this more in my Absolutely. non-humble but, opinion. But, you know, the Fed's doing a great job. That's great. They're fixing a problem that they created in That's the right. first place, and they're trying to hurt the housing. Who's that hurting? I mean, it's not hurting the wealthy. I guarantee at the cocktail parties this weekend, they'll laugh about the gas prices. But ha, ha, I paid $5 at their... That, the, the rich people don't care. It's the middle class and lower class that get screwed on the way in, and they're getting screwed on the way out. And, and I, I would argue that we came out of the, the, the blow-off top that was COVID for so many different asset classes was even more so 
from the housing market's perspective, because again, people left urban places. They all went out, scrambled out to buy a house. You saw this urban uh, exodus out of the Northeast to the Southeast and driving up prices in places where people actually need affordable homes. And you get all these people yeah. from the Northeast and the, and the Northwest. So I, I just think um, Karen's right. I mean, housing at some point, though, really, uh, you, you have priced in a lot of pain in terms of housing market stocks. And I think if you look at some of the uh, the home builders, but I, I would tend to again find the opportunities in those consumer discretionary ones, like a Williams. Some I think I think home builders is the D block of the show. So they, uh, yeah, we, we I, gotta, you brought it up. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm just. I brought up the housing market, not the home building. In fact, I even said I predicated we're going to talk about the home builders later in the show, Mr. Seymour. Oh, so it's now my fault. Look, I'll take the hit for this. I mean, on deck and do. full house. Bring it on. Uh, full house. <laughs> On deck, our major cost cuts coming at Amazon. Plus, if borrowing costs have finally peaked, does that make this group of stocks a really good bet for you? You can guess the group it is, because we just yapped about it for like 45 seconds. (laughs) We're back after this. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Amazon jumping 12% today. Of course, the whole market was up, but there was a report that Amazon is weighing changes at its unprofitable units, which include the unit that makes the Alexa voice assistant. News of the cost-cutting review comes after Amazon implemented a hiring freeze and warned of holiday sales ahead. And Karen, Jeff Bezos has been on the Twitter a couple times the last few weeks or months basically saying recession is inevitable. I'm summarizing. I thought he was buying a team. I saw that. Well, there's reports that that he may be bidding for the Washington Commandos. Amazon, think about it, though. Amazon's been somewhat retrenching parts of their businesses for a while. Remember, they expanded. They bought all that distribution space. And then they said, you know what? We have too much distribution space. I think they actually even sold some of it. So they've been sort of reworking their business for a while. I think, you know, similar to Meta getting a nice boost off of any kind of cost cuts, Amazon should too as well, especially given what they Can you own a giant retailer if the guy that runs... It's not a giant retailer. It's a cloud company. 
No, I, it, well, it's got two parts. Well, yes. Can we well, just agree that we're both correct? No, but what she's saying is that some of the parts is that AWS is the whole market cap, and Andy Jazzy, who's the CEO of the company, used to preside over AWS and, and the tremendous growth that it had. So, you know, I, you don't even need to talk about it as a retail company. That's the, that's the good stuff. That's like the cherry on top if things start to work. And I guess if you think back, and we talked about Jazzy now, he's been almost a year and a half at the helm, and the stock's been more than cut in half here. Cut in half. If you take the, the playbook from Tim Cook, Satya did Adela, Sundar, or whatever. I mean, Jazz is going to have a great second act. Why not cut out all the crap? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. You know, like, get their cut costs. They've been selling logistics. He overbuilt. He knew that. They did this. So, to me, I think it's a pretty interesting setup here. I mean, again, does the thing bottom at 80, 95? Well, where is it? I mean, that's the thing. 183. Well, here's the thing. 183.80 to 96.63, guy. 185 and change. Is there any bottom when you're looking at the charts? Listen, again, this is a trading show, so let's talk about it. You had huge volume capitulation, and what we've seen with names like, with stocks like this, I don't want to say, I don't want to confuse, they'll go back to where they traded down from on the earnings day. And for in, in terms of Amazon, it's about a buck ten. And then we're right back where we started this whole thing, and that probably lines up with that 4,400 in the S&P 500. Then we'll have another conversation. What's interesting is that the belt tightening dynamics didn't really mean a whole lot in the in the conference call after the earnings. Uh, but I'm with Dan. I, I wouldn't count Jassy. I wouldn't count this company out. They are spending in places right now that tomorrow we're going to look back and say, boy, they were so far ahead of everyone. And and since when do we care about the valuation in Amazon? We never have. Uh, it's never been an issue. Um, and I, I do think that the holiday season is probably going to be the last hurrah for this for the consumer. I think we've priced a lot of that in in Amazon. I, I, I think that is truly it. And the sum of the parts is absolutely giving you a lot of this company for free. Karen, final comment? Yeah, I don't, I'm actually not sure what the retail part of the company is. I still think, actually, I think, I think PEs do matter, especially with rates here. They used to be zero. Money used to be free. It's not free Fair. anymore. Um, and we've seen cloud slowing a little bit. So I don't, I don't own Amazon. Um, I think it's too expensive. Don't own it. Too expensive. There you go. All right. There is a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Build me up, Buttercup. Home builders ripping higher as rates head south. The traders are constructing their take on the group next. Plus, crypto mea culpa. SPF breaking his silence as the FTX fallout continues. The latest on the crypto collapse ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We were going to talk about home builders this block, but we kind of already did. Like, Tim just went rogue. And No, I'm kidding. So take a look at – hold on. Let's look at some of the builder-adjacent stocks, whatever that means. Wayfair soaring 28% today. Their business rose by 28%. Williams-Sonoma and RH, Lowe's and Home Depot also seeing big gains, all because, Guy Adami – 
we got a four-tenth of a percent drop in the inflation rate, and the Fed is still going to raise rates next month and probably again in January. And a very healthy 34 basis point bond move in 10 years, which is ridiculous. I mean, unhealthy is the Good word. news, honey. Bond yields fell. But, point, that's, but you know, we've had this conversation. Said nobody ago. ever. You know, we said if you think yields are going lower, which collectively we did. Yields and, and the dollar. And the dollar. Yeah. You have to be long home builders because they're basically on a hair trigger when yields move. Now, I didn't think 10-year yields will move 30 basis points in a day, yeah. but here we are. Gonna, now, the question you have to ask yourself is, do you get out of them if you've been long? And I think you take profits. I'm going to read a couple of things here. It's a guy named Rick Palacios Jr. I'm going to give him a little shout out. He works for John Burns Real Estate Consulting. Rick, if you're out there, thanks. Here's a, here's a, he had a tweet storm yesterday. And listen to this very quickly. He, he's, they surveyed a bunch of builders. Jacksonville, buying land at the top. We're going to cut starts 60 to 70%. Boston, October was exceptionally weak. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. October was the worst sales month in 12 years. No buyers. Baltimore, market is terrible. Birmingham, the market is weak demonstrably. I could go on. They were serving. Karen, this is, I mean, and now the home builders are popping 10% today. It, it just nothing made sense to me today. Well, I think that home builders are sort of looking through so that uh, this is different, I think, than 07, 08. You didn't have the same gigantic mismatch between, you know, just endless supply that you do now. Uh, I mean, you don't have that now that you did then. So that, I think, makes a big difference. And we're at this sort of dislocation where the bid-ask spread between buyers and sellers is wide. That will close. I think that we still have a millennial generation that wants to buy houses. And so if you look six months down the road, I think mortgage rates will be lower. And so I think activity will pick up. And I kind of like the space. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense you do. given the valuation. I mean, like, here's one thing. I was looking at this Lennar chart. Okay, yeah, granted, it's up 12% today. You know, this stock did not make a new low with the S&P 500 when it made new lows over the last few weeks, right? So the space in general had been trying to put in a little bit of a bottom. And you said three-tenths of a point in the CPI. It really is. What, what did the two-year do? You also said, well, we're still going to be raising rates in December. What did the two-year do yeah, today? Yeah, I agree. Rates just topped out for this cycle. The twos and the tens. That's it, people. So we can have all these fancy professors on. We can talk about all this stuff over and over again. We don't think about markets. When I think back to 07, 08, 09, I don't say, oh, that meeting in November and what that pal or what Bernanke said and then what he said the next month. I don't agree. About, I agree. I'm so talk, sick of the do, Fed. I, no, I think no, no, we're no, agreeing. No. I think I'm we're saying, agreeing. Hold on. What I'm saying is we talk about the inflection point. That's what McCulley said. We're, we're inflecting right now. That's happening, right? And so the data was this, and we had three CPI prints that weren't as bad as expected, but we had hot jobs data. And the next thing we're going to start seeing is jobs data where the unemployment rate gets to 4%. And then it's like kind of mission accomplished. Then the whole yeah. thing, this whole argument about inflation and everything like that, starts to turn a little bit. Well, it, it, and, if, and if you start to turn, you get back to also, I think, tailwinds and secular dynamics that are a function of the housing market grinding to a halt in Williams-Sonoma and Restoration Hardware. Who, by the way, report in about Three weeks to a month. So uh, we're just going to get their numbers and the comps that I'm I'm reading a report by Cowan. You know, they're saying they're looking at comps up about 6%. The real key, of course, is is where we get in 23. But if you look at where EPS estimates have come down for these stocks, they've come down dramatically. And and you've got consumers that are still staying in their house and fixing up. And these companies are running better than they have in terms of market. And I do wonder, because they can adjust their pricing, build a slightly smaller house, whatever. If you bought a house just yourself, you may not have the ability to lower prices. At least the home builders can. We'll talk about it. Maybe some other show some other day. All right, coming up, Sam Bankman-Fried breaking his silence on the collapse of the crypto exchange he founded. 
We're going to get the very latest on what's going on on this fast-moving, complicated, and often bizarre story with Kay Rooney. But it's not all doom and gloom in the space. Analysts seeing some light at the end of the tunnel, and that light could be shining from Coinbase. We'll explain, probably fight about it, and Fast Money Returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Let's talk FTX, the crypto exchange seeking emergency capital after reportedly using billions in customer funds to prop up sister trading firm Alameda Research. It's a hedge fund. Although the full extent of the impact does remain murky, we're trying to cut through it. Kate Rooney joining us now with the very latest on what we know and what we still don't know. Kate. Hey, Silla. Yeah, so FTX is still in the hunt for a bailout and bailout options after the Binance deal fell through. In the meantime, the company has been gating international withdrawals. But data firm Nansen points out that FTX was still allowing some people to sell their positions today. FTX saying that this was to comply with Bahamian law. Sam Bankman-Fried's exchange is based in Nassau. It tweeted that per our Bahamian HQ's regulations, we have begun to facilitate withdrawals of Bahamian funds. So letting some of the investors out, also letting other international customers take out certain cryptocurrencies from the platform. That's thanks to a credit facility it got today from another crypto company called Tron. So this allows investors in a handful of smaller cryptocurrencies to redeem their balances on that platform. Doesn't apply to Bitcoin and Ether. It is a small amount. And sources I'm talking to say this makes a potential bankruptcy especially messy if some people move their balances while others are stuck on the platform. It really scrambles up the assets and makes pretty much an uneven class of depositors. It causes a mess, essentially, if and when FTX needs to start repaying customers or file for bankruptcy. Sources I'm talking to say that is the likely outcome here. They're still predicting bankruptcy, but Sam Bankman-Fried, we heard from him earlier in a tweet. He says he's still got some options. He says there are a number of players that they're in talks with looking at term sheets, and he says we'll see how that ends up. Very much a fluid situation. Those I'm talking to say he's very much on the hunt for other investment options. We'll bring you the latest, Sully, when we've got it. Back to you. And we show you showed that tweet. It was 11 of, I think, of 22. Yeah. I don't know if Sam Bankman-Fried's got a lawyer, but if he does, you should tell him to stay off Twitter. I mean, just, just yeah. shut it down, saying, I think we might be able to do this. They're saying all these things. It's a serious situation. No time for like, well, I screwed up. Kate Rooney, yeah. thank you very much. All right, your next guest thinks there is a 0% I feel like, what's the guy from uh, the big short? Steve Eisman. Danny Moses. Yeah, 0% chance FTX can raise the capital it needs to survive, and the ripple effects will be felt throughout the financial system. Nick Carter, general partner at Castle Island Ventures and co-founder of Coinmetrics. Before we get into the, the crypto side, Nick, and I'm going to ask you a question. If you don't know, you probably don't know, but just say whatever. How does an exchange have an $8 billion loss? It's an exchange. Yeah, any idea what, what happened there? It, nothing. There are so many parts of the story which make no sense. Yeah, I mean, if they were operating in the standard orthodox model, there should be full liquidity, full reserve. It, it appears that they were co-mingling client assets with the Alameda balance sheet, the associated proprietary trading firm. It appears now that Alameda took a huge loss in May, June of this year, and uh, effectively requisitioned funds from FTX depositors in an incredibly ersatz move um, in order to shore up their balance sheet. So I think that's our best guess as to where the hole came from based on kind of on-chain forensics and uh, and what we know now. But of course, not something that should ever, ever happen at an exchange. They should be 
just backing those deposits with uh, with obviously corresponding liquid assets. Yeah, he was in front of Congress in May of this year talking about transparency and what went wrong in the financial crisis. Okay, uh, today everything went up. Is the everything rally, Nick? Crypto went up today. Do you think that yesterday may have been the, the bottom for crypto? Because sometimes asset classes bottom out when the news can't get seemingly any worse. Yeah, yesterday was literally the worst day in crypto history in my 10 years of being that says a, lot. Uh, a crypto person. You know, we've seen all these insolvencies and exchange collapses. This was the worst one um, because everyone trusted Sam. Sam was the number one crypto emissary in D.C. He was widely trusted, huge donor, of course. Uh, all of these seasoned veterans, funds, institutions had funds on the platform, and they were all betrayed by him. Uh, everyone trusted the guy, and uh, so many people were taken aback. Uh, the, there, are, there will be a further fallout here. There's a bunch of lenders that have open lines open to Alameda. I expect that will be the final leg down for the lenders but yes, it's kind of hard to imagine how things could get worse. There will continue to be fallout. Um, so, you know, expect to see that over the coming months. Yeah. But yeah, th- this seems like about as bad as it could well, get. Well, let's not, let's not forget, Nick, this is, we had Terra and Luna blow up in, in just a couple of months ago. And, and all of a sudden, we're talking about this most decentralized market there is, suddenly is now effectively a market with one exchange, Binance, which is the buyer. And by the way, the... Their, their token, BNB, has lost, what, half of its value as well. I mean, this huge decentralized business is suddenly now the most centralized business there is because there's one giant player and everybody else is getting bailed out. Voyager, Celsius, Three Arrows. Yeah, this has been an issue with the crypto spaces. We've delegated far too much power to these centralized institutions. And this could be our opportunity to kind of recenter and revisit genuine ideas of decentralized finance, which throughout the credit crisis over the last six months in crypto, DeFi did well, right? The non-custodial focus, a world where users can actually self-custody their assets without intermediation. Unfortunately, as an industry, we moved away from this and we ended up trusting these huge centralized intermediaries with predictable disastrous results. I hope that that is the reaction in the crypto space now we sort of revisit those core values that the industry is founded on. Nick Carter, really appreciate the views and the honesty and the candor. Serious story. Thank you very much. Our meantime, analysts at Oppenheimer are saying that Coinbase may be positioned to capitalize on a, quote, Lehman Brothers moment for FTX and the broader crypto space. But do the options markets agree with that? Mike Coe joining us now. Mike, what's the options activity in Coinbase? Uh, Coinbase usually is uh, quite busy, but today it was more than twice as busy as we usually see, more than double the average daily options volume. However, puts did outpace calls quite considerably, and the busiest options were the November 18th weekly 50 strike puts. We saw over 26,000 of those trade for an average of $4.21 a contract, and buyers of those puts are obviously betting that Coinbase could either drop through that $50 strike price or they're hedging against that uh, by the end of next week. But of course, the stock was uh, below $45 just yesterday. So hedging could indeed be the thesis here. All right, Mike, thank you very much. And as always, for more Options Action, the full show is tomorrow night, every Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, coming up, stocks soaring in a massive rally on Wall Street. But one of our traders says now is the time to trade cautiously. Well, you should maybe tread lightly after today's action. Trade school in session when Fast Money returns. 
right. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're having a good Thursday evening. Let's take a look at today's market euphoria. But on a day when the Nasdaq finished up more than 7%, you heard that right, and the growthy ARK ETF posted its best day ever for Kathy Wood, it's worth taking some time to learn how not to get caught up in the madness. It is time for trade school. Oh, there you go. Professor Nathan, I, you were talking you about this earlier today. Yeah. How should we approach days like today? Well, it's funny. Triggers, price points. If you watch this show, you know, I don't like manias. I don't like over-exuberance. Like oh, no, well, there's, there's plenty of things I like. But he I, likes it. No, no, Mike. I don't like over-exuberant bull markets, and I don't buy into that. I don't like days like today, which I'm fairly well convinced that we all talked about in the A block. This feels like a uh, bear market rally. So when you think about trading a market like this, you could be kind of incrementally less bearish. You want to buy things. You really have to be careful about buying things on days like today when you have no shortage of stocks up 10% in one day. If you try to buy that with a little phone, you may find yourself, if you are not a short-term trader, if you don't have your finger on the trigger, you're going to get caught in things that you don't want because there's a really good chance that the NASDAQ and the S&P at some point in the next few weeks or months are going to retest those lows that we just made here. So to me, what I think about as a trading opportunity, I tend to be contrarian. So I just mentioned all of those tech stocks, which I generally like. I have a positive longer-term disposition. They were so hated in the last couple of weeks, I like to kind of buy them when they're hated and play for a gap fill. So that's kind of how I trade markets like this. I love this volatility, especially if you're staring at your fact set machine all day, which I do. I've been doing that for 25 years. It kind of gives you those opportunities to do this. Well, if you, if you agree with Dan, Nathan, markets are going down and you, you, you're in the market now and prices went up, do you sell tomorrow morning? Well, the, the, I don't know that you do because one of the things that we're arguing is that there have been trading ranges and, and there have been, it, it, saying they're predictable is not fair because of course they're not predictable, but there have been places in here rallying up to 41, 41.50 um, in an environment where you have seasonals and midterms, but everybody's heard that. I'll just get back to what Dan is saying is, first of all, if we are at a bear market, and I don't think three-tenths of, of a percent on core CPI changed where we were. Um, but you always get your price. And again, as a guy that's traded in emerging markets, um, the view is you always get your price. And, and I think in this environment, you have to have levels above the market and below the market where you want to own a particular name. And that's 4150 because with 5150, you'd want the best of both worlds. There you go. The best is David Lee Roth, not yeah. Sammy Hagar. Coming up, we're doing this. Van Hagar, from Wall Street veterans to the veterans on Wall Street, head of Veterans Day. We are speaking to the founders of one investment firm, 100% owned by military vets, they just rang the closing bell at the New York Stock Exchange today, and they will join us next. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Wall Street honoring our military heroes. Tomorrow, remember, tomorrow is Veterans Day. Do not forget. And the U.S. Marine Corps ringing the closing bell here at the NASDAQ. At the NYSE, the Navy did the honors. Go Navy. Among those who took part were the president and CEO of Academy Asset Management, that is the nation's first institutional asset manager that is 100% owned by military veterans. Joining us now is Giants legend, Super Bowl champ, Phil McConkie, former naval officer and helicopter pilot, currently president of Academy Securities, an affiliate of AAM. We're also joined by Chance Mims. He's a former U.S. naval officer and founder and CEO of Academy Securities as well. Is your undershirt, Tim, is that a McConkie shirt? He's got a giant. You know, it's, 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 it's a little bit worn out. I, I love it. Can we, can we pencil in an 80 on it and yeah, that'll make it really official? First off, great work. Good stuff. Love that you're doing it. We were chatting in the commercial break, Phil. What skills does a military veteran have that would translate the, the best to Wall Street? You just talked about 
an, an underwater demolition they, they, naval officer you had had just slid right in. Slid right in and making cold calls, which is a difficult thing to do. Anybody, you pick up the phone and calling somebody you don't know, and people get, get nervous. And this young woman uh, made the transition from the Navy as an underwater demolition expert. And, you know, she's like, I, I was defusing bombs attached to ships. So picking up the phone and calling somebody that I don't know, it's kind of easy. Yeah, are you scared? Are you kidding? Yeah, it's not a nitrox tank 200 feet down. I mean, it is a, it is an interesting world. The discipline levels, I've got to imagine, matter a lot. No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, first of all, happy birthday to the United States Marine Corps. Phil and I are both Navy veterans. Yep. Uh, however, you know, we have a lot of our teammates that are uh, you know, in the Marine Corps. So excited about that. It was great to see the Secretary of the Navy down in the New York Stock Exchange today. You know, these skill sets that military veterans bring to the table, you know, we've, we've proven it on the investment banking side, on the sales side. We've been on your show before. But we're now proving it on the asset management side, and it's exciting to see, you know, the discipline, the integrity, the problem-solving skills uh, that these individuals have. And we're going to do the same thing. We have the playbook. We're going to do the exact same thing on the buy side and offer jobs to military vets uh, on the buy side. Phil, the professional athletes, there's a laundry list of guys, mostly men, that come out of the sport with a lot of money. Five years later, a lot of them don't have it anymore. Are you helping in that cause? Because a lot of people are getting around that. You know, we're, we're not not yet, but that's something that I would love to help rectify because it is a massive problem with guys that make all this money. And the, sometimes the problem is, is not getting them. You got to go through their agents mm -hmm. and the agents want to control everything. And that's the difficult part of it. And I think uh, there should be some way that the Players Association stands up and says we need to help these guys with some financial literacy and have reputable yeah. people get involved to help them long term. Because, as you, as you say, a couple years later and all that money is By the way, lottery winners, too. What's the stat same like 60%? Kind of the same yeah. thing. Same thing. Yeah. Well, how about, how about the veterans? And how about you know, an environment where, again, we talked about it in the show as far as the housing market, but a lot of veterans come back to a, a world where, frankly, these markets are unaffordable. Um, there's, there's very poor guidance. There really hasn't been a fixed income market to invest in. And, and for people that don't have a lot of money to throw around, what are some of your kind of core playbooks? Yeah, I think what we're trying to do with, with a lot of the veterans that come to us, the best thing to do is give them gainful, meaningful employment, right? And, and on Wall Street and financial services, that's one way we can get them a leg up. Yeah. You, know, it, you know, at our firm, you know, it's easier for a, a, you know, a young woman who is a UDT officer or, or, or a Marine making that transition because it's more difficult for them to go to a bulge bracket bank because they don't have the pedigree, they don't have MBAs, yeah. so it's much more difficult to us they can come in. I got, I got a... I with everything going on, FTX, market rally, a lot of serious stuff. I got I to gotta get you this. Are the Eagles going to win the Super Bowl? Don't hate me. Way early. Don't hate me. You don't want to peak, <laughs> listen, me. You don't wanna peak too soon, right? You, 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 you know, you got to have some adversity, and you'd rather have it earlier in the year. But I do have to say, you know, the New York teams are 18 and 7. Well, technically, the Bills are the only New York team, but... You know, the Giants, Jets, <laughs> yeah. Bills. The New Jersey Jets are doing well. 18 and 7. I don't, I don't know if that's ever been the case this deep into the season where they've had that much success. Well, now they're going to lose seven straight. But Phil yeah. Chance, first off, thanks awesome. for coming in. Thank you for your service, by the way. Pleasure. And yeah. cool stuff you're doing. And by the way, remember, everybody, tomorrow is Veterans Day. Please thank your family members, friends, anyone for their service to America. Up next, your final trades. Probably my final fast money appearance ever, Tim. Kick it off fast. Great to have you, Brian. If we've broken the back of the dollar, emerging will go higher. Karen? Yeah, we've had a big run up in energy, maybe a rotation out now. Sell some upside calls. Yeah, shout out to retired uh, Lieutenant Colonel Neath and my dad. Uh, and nice. TLT, nice. ride TLT. We love you, Brian. Newmont Mining, any of gold miners, man.
That's it. That's it. That's it. Better get the break. Thank you. Man. Thank you for watching Fast Money, everybody. Happy Appreciate it. Yep. Mad Money with Jim starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.